Hello, lovely listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and for their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Coffee. It's a part of everyday life. There's nothing quite like the aroma of café in the morning. It's there for those long and late work shifts. For the sleep-deprived parents needing a wake-me-up. For the pair of tias chismeando over cafecito con pan. But coffee comes with a dark past and a hefty price. Coffee-fueled economies in Latin America. But this was at the expense of indigenous people and the ecosystem of these countries. Blood was spilled in the coffee plantations of Latin America. And for what? More money. everyone this is Carmen and Christina and this is a podcast where every week we talk shit about capitalism in a different way today I'm canceling coffee <laughs> I'm just kidding coffee is canceled coffee is canceled uh, those no, of us no. with coffee addictions we're gonna die <laughs> I, I was sipping on my coffee as you said that oh <laughs> But I am going to be uh, telling you, Carmen, and our listeners about the dark history of coffee and capitalism. So do with that what you will by the end of this if you want to cancel coffee. I'm not going to. <laughs> I physically can't. Yeah, me me neither. I'm addicted. Same. But maybe maybe by the end of this, you can decide where you want to get your coffee, you know? How much do you know about coffee, like history of coffee and things like that? Well, I know that... Coffee production is like big in Central America, specifically what Central American countries? I feel like Nicaragua. I don't know. Uh, one time I had a Uber driver that picked me up and he was telling me about he, how he was trying to make a coffee company, but also he was like expelled from Nicaragua during the oh, civil war. So damn. I feel like he had ties to the government or something. Okay. It was an entertaining ride, but also I'm like, why are you hiding? Why are we kicked out? But I don't know what regime either. So I'm not sure. Yeah, because you never know. Yeah, because he could have been a leftist, but he also could have been. Yeah, I know. That's what was concerning to me. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, yeah, I know that when you buy coffee, it'll say like ethically sourced from such and such place. And yeah, I think that about sums it up. Okay. so. I'm going to be focusing mostly on El Salvador and Guatemala. Briefly, I'm going to mention Brazil. But we're going to go way back right now uh, to the history of coffee in the Americas. So 
coffee has a long history here. Uh, over 60% of the world's coffee is supplied by Latin America. And the majority is from Brazil. At, at points in time, it does change. At one point, it was El Salvador. Oh. Um, FYI. No, I think right now it is Brazil. Oh. And in a combination of Brazil, Colombia, Guatemala, and El Salvador mostly. But like almost every Latin American country has production in it. But those are like the big ones. However, it wasn't always in the Americas. In 1720, a French naval officer brought seedlings to uh, Martinique. It's an island in the Caribbean, for those of you that don't know. Oh. You never heard of Martinique? I did not hear of Martinique, no. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, it's an island in the Caribbean. And 50 years later, the little seedlings sprouted and flourished, and there was 18,860 coffee trees on the little island. Then this allowed for the spread of coffee to Saint-Domingue, which is now Haiti. The French called it Saint-Domingue. Oh. You didn't know that either? <laughs> I I thought that was a city, Santo Domingo. <laughs> I hear it in the reggaeton songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, they they like to reuse names. So, yeah, it's also a city. Yeah. But at yeah. one point, it was a name for Haiti. I'm sure that's a person, too, right? Well, know. yeah, they name things after okay, people. Okay, go on. Who I don't yeah. know. Don't ask me who. <laughs> is is it a Santo? <laughs> I guess I would assume. <laughs> I don't know. I don't that part. Maybe. Uh, okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I guess it doesn't. And yeah, that that was Haiti, <laughs> and then it, it went to other islands of the Caribbean and Mexico, then Central America, and so on. So by 1788, the Caribbean was supplying half of the world's coffee. The French needed workers to farm all of this coffee, and they relied heavily on enslaved Africans. Of course they did. Yeah. When I thought about industries that relied on the enslavement of people, I always thought cotton, sugar, but I never thought coffee. I guess I didn't know. I didn't know that either, I guess because I never knew how far back, how long ago people started drinking coffee so um i guess i just never really associated it with that time frame yeah me me neither. although enslavement and slavery lasted hundreds of years so but i just never thought about it I yeah guess. yeah i had i didn't never thought about it either so the the terrible working conditions of the coffee plantations were a major factor in what led to the haitian revolution and this permanently affected the coffee industry uh, after that, Haiti was no longer the major producer of coffee because it was Brazil, because they relied on the enslavement of people in Brazil after Haiti was like, no. Yeah. Right? So then Brazil became the largest producer of coffee uh, by 1852, and it remains the largest producer of coffee today. After the mid-1800s, Central America was a major exporter of coffee. After when? Oh, uh, 1852. Oh, okay. And coffee fueled economies in Latin America, but this was at a, like a major expense. It was at the expense of indigenous people and the ecosystem of these countries. Like the indigenous population and the ecosystem were like permanently changed because of the coffee industry in in terrible ways. Uh, and I'm going to start with Guatemala. And these are just the two I researched more those interested in coffee harvest in Guatemala lacked both workers and land. 
for large scale productions, but like they knew that the the minute that Spain lost control of these countries, like this was the place to go and do business, right? It was like one major power left and like, oh, it's free for us white people to go and grab. Yeah, it was up for grabs. So, but they didn't have the land or the workers for to make large amounts of coffee. So the government forced indigenous people to work the land after taking it from them to give to people, outside people, to grow coffee. I have no words. Yeah. And coffee was mainly grown in two regions in Guatemala, Boca Costa and Alta Verapaz, two highly indigenous areas. And so outside investors that didn't care for indigenous people, all this land, it looked like free, unclaimed land, but it wasn't. It belonged to indigenous people. It never is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They lived in the mountainous regions and they would come down to these lands and they, they had communal farms where they seasonally farmed these lands. So one season was, I don't know, cotton, another season was whatever. And they shared these lands among each other very peacefully one might add but these um these lands were taken from them and you know given to investors it was seasonal crops like peanuts cotton and corn and they had been doing this for generations the indigenous people so yeah the government took these lands and they left indigenous people with only a tiny portion of what they used to own Ignoring their protest and that they didn't want to give up this land that they had been using their entire lives, right? And in in the beginning, uh, the finca owners, so that's what the coffee plantations were called. So finca owners tried to get European immigrants to work these lands, but these workers were often leaving for better opportunities in Brazil and Costa Rica where they were paid better. And so um, indigenous workers, they did seasonal stints in the fincas. So they only worked there, you know, seasonally. They didn't work there permanently. And it was because the treatment they received by finca owners was horrendous. They were like, fuck this shit. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, on top of the horrible treatment they would get, they would also get sick. And then they would bring these diseases back to their communities. And then, you know, people there would get sick. They had to endure bug bites, heat, physical and verbal abuse. And so due to these conditions, they were like, we don't need this. And they didn't need it. Not at the time. Uh, They could still live off the little land that they were left with. And they weren't like these capitalist bee workers that, Mm -hmm. that the finca owners wanted and needed so they could control, right? Um, They still lived off the little land they had left. They exchanged Mm. goods, like bartering, you know. And they didn't have these heavy taxes that the the government wasn't charging them these taxes, heavy taxes. So they didn't have a lot that they needed to pay for. So for the most part, they were still living off their land. There's always a but. But. Yeah, there is. Uh, Planters urged the government to force indigenous populations to work. Prior to 1871, the government relied heavily on indigenous voters. But then, after 1871, there was a revolution and the tables turned, basically. And planters were more important than the indigenous people to the government. They no longer relied on the indigenous Mm -hmm. vote. So they didn't care about them anymore. 
they enacted a decree that would force labor drafts that were called mandamientos. I don't know what mandamiento stands for. It sounds like a mandatory something. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So planters could demand villages to send workers and they had to pay the workers for travel and for the work in advance um, so that they would come down from their villages to work in the fincas. But um, this was this was already forced labor. It was already cheap because they already didn't pay indigenous workers enough for what they were doing. But on top of already paying them little, the finca owners would still take money from the advance that they would give indigenous people to come down and work these lands. So they took part of the cut. And then um, because indigenous people were traveling from their area and then going back, the mandamientos were only supposed to last. They were only supposed to last a certain amount of time. So it was like a contract for, say, a couple months. And so indigenous people would bring only the clothes and food they needed because the finca people, the finca owners didn't feed them, even though they were there for a couple months. And so um, they only brought enough food for, you know, the contract, whatever the contract was. But then finca owners would force them to stay longer than what the contract said. And, uh, you know, this was a huge problem because they didn't bring enough food. This is just all sorts of fucked up. And so then they would be hungry and the Finca owners didn't give them food. They would force them to stay. Yeah, it gets worse. <laughs> I, I know. And I was like, like, I should hold off on saying that because I know it's going to get worse. But how are you going to force? How are you going to mandate legally that people indigenous people will be forced to work for you but then you're not going to pay them enough and then you're going to take from what you already pay and then you're not going to feed them when they go and live on your land to fucking work where you force them to fucking work and then you're going to force them to stay there longer and it's going to get worse oh my god yes yes it is (laughs) (laughs) so if if an indigenous worker spoke up about this, then they were subject to beatings or even jail. After after they finally returned to their villages, they often had another mandamiento already waiting for them. So they had to go back immediately, basically. Oh, my God. Yes. And because of the demand for coffee around the world, but especially the United States... I should add, I didn't mention this, and I don't know why I didn't put it in my notes, but after the American Revolution, tea was like a thing, right? And so they dumped all that tea symbolically. So coffee became the drink because they were like, fuck tea. We're not going to drink They said, fuck tea. That's for the fucking British bitches. Yes. Yeah, they essentially, did you hear about Freedom Fries when they wanted to rename French fries to Freedom Fries? Yeah, I think I did. After Iraq, I think. Yes. So the, they essentially, this has always I'm been a sorry, thing with the so United stupid. States. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they're, and they're doing it now. <laughs> they're doing it now with like Russian companies and shit. Like what? What is a Russian company? I saw something on Twitter and I can't remember. Oh, um, they're going to rename the the Molotov cocktail. No. <laughs> the Midwestern cocktail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to be the cowboy cocktail. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> I was keeping it with the N. Oh, duh. Yeah, I see. <laughs> the Milwaukee cocktail. Okay, go on. <laughs> That's like the worst one. I don't know why. I can't explain why. It doesn't even sound appealing. 
You know why? Because when I think of Milwaukee, I think of Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> that is probably why. Yeah. But but they did this with tea. And so coffee became the drink to drink. And so then coffee was, you know, the United States was the major consumer for coffee. And so because coffee, there was such a demand for coffee, they weren't going to stop the mandamientos. They were going to keep the mandamientos going because they needed workers. Yeah to make more coffee. And so the mandamientos lasted until 1920, which is like oh, not wow. that long ago when you think about it in terms of history like I mean, if you go from the 1800s to the 1920s, like that is more recent than than we want to think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the only way for an indigenous worker to escape a mandamiento was to show that they were already in contract with a different finca, like sugar or bananas, because because bananas are a whole nother thing, like <laughs> in oh, yeah. Guatemala, which yes. we should cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's everything that we eat, like tainted with um, oppression and blood and horrible things. I think it is. <laughs> wow. I think so. I I would have to really potatoes, think about what is not bananas, coffee, drugs, because <laughs> you know Mexico, Latin America faced so much violence, or so much violence came from comes from still the production of drugs and cartels. And who was the number one consumer of those drugs that people are being who murdered always, for in Mexico? I'm sorry, the United States. <laughs> Who is always the number one consumer? Fucking United States. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Yes. Guilty. That's okay, another so. episode. Go on. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it came to the point where every indigenous man and woman was indebted to other fincas and there was no one left to be drafted for mandamientos. This system created another job, which was a person that hunted down men to put under under these contracts. And this was un habilitador, uh, abilitator, I don't know, enabler. I don't know what you call them in, in English. I mean, one of those. Enforcer. I guess. Yeah. So they could not sign up someone that was already under contract with another finca, but they did it all the time and would then force these workers back to whatever finca they were like not contracted to so they were just being like forced from finca to finca yes and conditions for indigenous workers worsened and the landowners or finca owners whatever you want to call them along with the government they perpetuated the stereotype of the lazy filthy drunk indigenous worker and this is still a stereotype that affects indigenous communities everywhere not even just latin america but i think it's another common stereotype here in the united states yeah it is like i don't know how many times and i mean not to like make our our dad sound like a shitty person but there's just these preconceived biases (laughs) people grew up with and so sometimes i hear him telling like saying like oh you know the indigenous workers are lazy and i'm like no 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 (laughs) i correct him all the time well, we, we all grow up with those. Yeah, and we have to unlearn them. Yes, it's like constantly unlearning. You're never going to stop unlearning these shitty fucking beliefs and stereotypes. Mm-hmm. But that reminds me of that book I was reading that I still haven't finished. Oh, uh, House, Spirit, House of Leaves. House of Spirits? 
House of Leaves. I think no? it's House of Spirits. It's by Isabella Allende, right? Yeah, and I know that it's like a eventually the one of the main characters is going to lead like a civil wars revolution or some shit. And her grandfather is a finca owner. And so it starts off like I think some, one of the relatives from future from the future finds her diary and then or the family. I don't know what, but it goes back in time to the finca owner who is the great grandpa or some shit. And then it talks about him and he is the shittiest fucking person. And he talks about um, his his family's land that was abandoned and he goes back to it and there's people living like in squalor and they're like indigenous people. Um, and he's like, Oh, before I got there, they were living like miserably. And yes, I worked them hard, but I also gave them this and this and this, but he exposed the shit out of them. Trigger warning rapes the women and girls. Uh, he's horrible. And then he acts like I did these people a favor because they were yeah, lazy and, and, and it's the same shit yeah, that you're talking yeah. about. And he was a finca owner, just like you're saying. Yes. So I think he, he's yeah, based and that's on fiction, like, all these real. But it's, yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's fiction, but it's real. Like, that's really what they were like. And they perpetuated yeah. this stereotype. And because of the stereotype, it was okay to treat them the way they treated them. This justified providing them the worst housing conditions. This, These were sheds without walls. They provided polluted drinking water. They indebted workers mm-hmm. uh, by taking advantage of their illiter- illiteracy. And it's not that they were illiterate. It's that, that Spanish was not their language. And these contracts Yeah, it's like, Spanish. why are you going to be illiterate in a language you don't fucking read? That doesn't mean you're illiterate. That means that you don't use that language. <laughs> yeah. And they use this stereotype to justify all these things like, we're teaching them to be better because they are this and we're we're teaching them to be hard workers and it's like no you're exploiting them (laughs) they are not the same yeah and if you're such a hard worker you get down this and do this shit yourself you fucking lazy bitch exactly and they weren't and they won't they don't ever right but um if a worker could not pay off his debt his wife and children would then be forced to work the fields to make up the difference. If a man died owing money or work to the finca owner or the plantation owner, then women and children were forced by these employers to then take this worker's place in the field. Yeah, they talk about that in the book, too. Horrible. Um, So there were rebellions here and there people weren't just letting these things happen but all rebellions were stopped with violence because the finca owners had the military and the government on their side a lot of indigenous people protested or immigrated to mexico or honduras to escape the contract enforcers many protested to government officials for their treatment as well um, and the mandamientos, uh, like I said, they lasted until the end of World War One, And the fall of the coffee and the end of the dictatorship of Manuel Estrada Cabrera had to do with the end of the mandamientos. It's not that they wanted to end them. It's that they were essentially forced to. Of course, because, yeah. Yeah, the price of coffee fell and then the dictator was overthrown. In, and then that didn't last long either. Indebted work came back again in 1924. And then in 1934 indebted labor ended 
but exploitation continued. Forced labor was not abolished in Guatemala until the revolution in 1944. And then in 1952, during the revolution, President Arbenz, he passed Decree 900. And this is like the most general. Do you have you heard of it? Do you know about it? No. No. Okay. Well, this is this is like the most generous land reform policy to ever come into existence in Latin America. The this president returned land to rural workers, which are indigenous people. And um did I write down how much land? I didn't. It was a lot though. He gave back a lot of land. And um this this was not in the interest of the this was not in the interest of the United States. I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> what happened? President returning. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay, so they overthrew. No, no, I him. thought he. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> that's what I I was guessing when I said what I, what I can imagine what happens next. <laughs> yes, and and so I think I don't remember when the banana things happen when they hire. Because, I mean, that's a whole other topic. But I want to say that this was around this time because banana plantation uh, owners were also, their land was taken away to be given back to indigenous people. And this was, they were in cahoots with the United States. And and this was viewed as a communist policy. And, you know, the... the Yeah, that's how they, it was like during the Cold War. Is that what you just said, the Cold War? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Then, yeah, I think it was around the same time. Yeah. So, because this this land reform didn't uh, it didn't benefit the United States and the uh, banana kings and, you know, the coffee plantation owners, then the president was overthrown. And he was a dem- democratically elected president. And, yeah. And, you know, but but what he was doing, it was too communist, give, returning these people the land that was taken from them. So so they overthrew him, <laughs> of course. And then and they they placed a dictator in his place. Um, mm-hmm. And this dictator then, you know, he worked for the interest of the United Fruit Company and coffee, coffee plantation. Then, yeah, it was the same time. Because yeah. that was the, mm-hmm. the company that was in cahoots with this fucking shit. Yeah. And I didn't go, I didn't look more into when things got better for Guatemala. I don't know what, I don't know the role coffee plays in like genocides later on that occurred in Guatemala. Because there was a genocide of like one third of the Maya population in 1982 and in 83. But mm-hmm. if it's anything like El Salvador, coffee could have been a direct. Uh, re- this could have been a result from because they because indigenous people were, yeah, were the workers of coffee plantations and banana plantations. So um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't look more into that because then I was like, I'm gonna search El Salvador, and I just pivoted without concluding my <laughs> my research on Guatemala because oh, okay. I don't know why I did this. Well. We only have time to talk about the horrible things, not if things get better. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we're sharing, the horrible history behind yeah. the bloody history behind coffee, right? Okay, so 
like their neighboring country, Guatemala, coffee became essential to the Salvadorian economy. But it was also a little different because in El Salvador, thanks to coffee, 14 families became ultra rich. Las 14 familias. I, are you familiar now. with them? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'm not going to go into detail on all of them, but one, I will. One specifically. Can they be a whole episode by themselves one day? <laughs> Probably, huh? <laughs> they should be, right? Shit, yeah. But uh, these 14 family families became, you know, oligarchs in El Salvador, um, thanks to coffee. And the gap between the rich and the poor widened, like, an insane amount. So these 14 families comprised or were made up of Spanish descendants, English and Italian immigrants, not Salvadoran people. Of course. Of course. One British immigrant, his name was James Hill. And the family is still ultra rich. Uh, they're just not, and their investments are not in coffee anymore. Mm. But uh, the Hill family is a big name still in El Salvador. But James Hill arrived in the late 1800s. And just years later, he owned 18 coffee plantations. And um, just in one season, it would employ more than 5,000 workers in, oh, in wow. his spread among his plantations. Yeah. Reforms around the 1880s made it so that land that indigenous, indigenous communities had previously used seasonally, like Guatemala, they were taken away and they were essentially given, but really sold, to entrepreneurs looking uh, to get into export crops, but mainly coffee, but also sugar and cotton, but again, mainly coffee. And these entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, sorry, I keep saying forgot to say the r <laughs> oh i didn't even notice it sounded normal it sounded normal to me <laughs> oh, okay well then i don't know um but these entrepreneurs were not salvadoran like i said they were british english oh that's the same thing american british american italian or of spanish french descent. wait did french, you ever say yeah. french or did i just make that up oh <laughs> No, I didn't say it, but but yeah, them oh. too. <laughs> oh, okay. And so, yeah, they were sold to these people instead of Salvadoran people. And this, this land, again, was taken from indigenous people. It wasn't land for the government to give away. So by 1928, coffee accounted for 90% of all exports in El Salvador. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in that amount of time, yeah, that is a lot. And they uh, coffee employed a fifth of El Salvador's population. Landowners employed mostly indigenous workers and largely exploited these workers. The New York Times they ran a story, and in this story they were li they were like, "Oh, coffee in El Salvador is the new business endeavor to get into." There's going to be difficulties, though. You have to find land, claim this land. Again, let me let me repeat. This land was not theirs to claim. When did they make this article? This was in the 1900s. Oh, like okay. Letting people know, like, go to El Salvador and invest in coffee. Go manifest your destiny. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they said... Uh, let me go on. Yeah, you have to find this land. You have to claim it. You have to clear it of trees that are already there. And then you have to find workers. Oh, and people? But these workers? 
ridiculous <laughs> yes yeah and and of people yeah um these workers don't work as hard as you want them to they only Are do the work serious? they need and not more mm-hmm. who the fuck wants worse. to work more than they want to oh my fucking god okay i'm i'm just gonna <laughs> say nothing and let you finish oh that's okay uh, the article goes on to say they are lazy and drunks and are only interested in money for alcohol. And they refer to indigenous workers as mozos. And so they wrote, like, these mozos are lazy, drunks, and only want money for alcohol. That's all they're good for. And so you need to go, you need to employ them, and you need to... Um, and these mozos are in need of masters to teach them to work. Are you fucking serious? That's what the article said. How is someone that forces other people to do their work for them going to teach you how to work? Because they don't know how to work, right? 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 (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. That is just infuriating. It is. It is. So back to James Hill. Um, who would go on to be part of the 14 families. He married into a um, Spanish descent family of El Salvador. So that was his way into already prestigious Salvadoran socialites. Okay. So, but before that, he, he found, you know, he did this. He found his land, quote unquote, his land. (laughs) It was not his land, (laughs) but he found land land that that already belonged to to someone else. Yes. Exactly. Um, And so he started clearing this land and, you know, indigenous people tried to defend this land that was theirs with machetes. And he went and grabbed a pen and a piece of paper and he told them that if they signed it, they would cease fighting. But really, this paper, this paper said that the people attacked his land because at the time there was a law or policy that if indigenous people were found attacking a land that a entrepreneur and i'm using quotations here quotations <sighs> here uh if they attacked land that someone had claimed already to create a plantation then this land then the indigenous people would be arrested and and so this is what he had them sign that they were admitting that they attacked his land and he took this piece of paper, went to the police, showed it to them, and then the indigenous people that were defending their own land were all arrested. And so the land became his. Mm-hmm. This is why some laws are bullshit, because originally they were just made for situations like this to protect the rich. Yeah, this is why when people, like, law is not morality, because all of this is immoral as fuck. Like, all this, yeah. like... Yeah. Oh, they're going to hell if hell were real. Like this law was created so that people could steal land from indigenous people. Like yeah, yeah, just just like law or just like the police in the United States. Yes, was created yeah. to track down enslaved people that were escaping. Right. Um. Yeah. So this is why. Yeah. This is why laws are ar- arbitrary. Is that? I don't know if I'm using that word right, but yeah. I mean, I, I think okay, it's okay. it's right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, maybe. This is why law. This is why the law is not uh, firm or always right, or like should be taken as like an absolute. Yeah. So 
uh, back to Hill. So in order to cut costs, he impl- he pitted women against each other to compete for jobs. Some of these jobs were to dig holes into the ground and fill them with green fertilizer. And because they were women, they were paid half of what a man was paid because they weren't as physically strong. And again, I'm using quotation marks. <laughs> so um, a man was already paid like one cent a day. And so women were paid even less. Oh, my God. For every 25 women, there was one male supervisor that was hired and he was given power over these women. So that's anytime a man is given power over over a group of women, there's going to be atrocities. I'm sure there's going to be some sexual exploitation and assault going on after. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to go into details of sexual exploitations, but just know that happened. Of course. That it happened. Okay. Of course. Yeah. So one of these male supervisors, which can also be called overseers for James Hill specifically, because this is who I'm focusing on right now. Um, So one of his overseers, his name was Florentino Diaz. And uh, so if plantation workers were, let me backtrack a little bit, but plantation workers were only fed what the finca or, or finca, what the plantation owner provided. So usually it was beans a scoop one scoop of beans and two tortillas in the morning if they arrived late and they they were not fed uh, but they still had to work so it was like given at like 5 a.m sharp if you missed it you missed it and so you were hungry all day and it used to be that that these plantations had natural trees growing uh they were all removed so that the workers could not just they couldn't eat from there Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, natural growing fruits were removed. So people were hungry. If and if there was like a tree remaining and a worker was caught eating, they were punished by the overseer. And so for Florentino Diaz, one of his overseers for Hill, he he saw a hungry worker steal steal like a fruit. And is it really stealing if it's just, it's just there, right? But that's I guess it's a whole nother <laughs> Whole nother thing. If is it really stealing? If it's not really rightfully even your land, no. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, Florentino Diaz caught a worker stealing, quote unquote, stealing a fruit, and so he was going to be punished, right? So he had two other workers grab this hungry worker and hang him. Obviously, the the guy died, so that was the punishment for stealing. A piece of fruit on a plantation. Death. And this is just one plantation. Like That is so fucked up. So Diaz was arrested for murder. Somehow he, not somehow, but he managed to get sympathy from the Spanish community in El Salvador which was more affluential than, you know, the indigenous population, right? They mattered more, the Spanish population. So then he secured lawyers because of the sympathy gained from the Spanish community. And their defense strategy was to claim that the man had died from susto, which if you don't know what susto means, it's fright. Like the man died of fear. He didn't die from the hanging. Okay, susto caused by... The guy, the Florentino, hanging. and the yeah. workers that yes. hanged him. So it's still mm-hmm. his fucking fault. 
Yeah, you would think. And so um, then they managed to find two doctors to confirm this cause of death, susto. And and then uh, in court, Diaz like cried and cried about how he didn't mean to do this. He just meant to scare him. And then he went to suffer like a heart attack in court. I don't know if he actually suffered it or if he faked it because you don't know what these people. He probably <laughs> faked it, honestly. Yeah, seriously. And but unless but, he fucking died, the it, then he faked it. And I hope he, he didn't, died. didn't die. Of course, no. he didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so by the end of it, he was found not guilty while the two workers following his instructions because they oh had to. Oh, my God. <laughs> they were found guilty. It's okay because it's infuriating. They were found guilty. But they weren't in like a supervising role. They were following his orders. And again, look at what happened to this man that stole a fruit because he was hungry. So, of course, there was a... They were scared of him, so they were gonna follow his orders. Well, they were afraid. Yes. Yeah, or they, or they probably would have been killed. This is such bullshit. I'm just, if you're gonna be like a horrible fucking boss and fucking kill people, be fucking own up to it. Like, <laughs> don't go there with your fucking fake heart attacks and your fake tears. Just be like, yes, I did do that because I'm a bitch and I'm a fucking yeah. horrible person. Like, yeah, they should. This is such bullshit. Yeah. So after this, he'll. The plantation owner then changed tactics about how he enforced work at his plantations. He no longer um, encouraged fear to be used. And so, again, there was like a fruit at this plantation. So then this is where he really went and took all the fruit that were hanging there. And they used food to control people um, instead of like fear like this instance. Um so, uh, yeah, he changed. So now people methods. were afraid of going hungry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he changed methods. Plus, on top of that, at this time, then El Salvador had mobilized the National Guard. And this they were used as enforcers at plantations. So they were even scarier than the former uh, overseers. Wow. And just their presence alone was enough, really, to um, fear yeah. or scare people into working. So he relied on the National Guard and then he took out all the existing trees that could have fed any workers, made them, you know, like I said, made them rely on the two, one scoop of frijoles and two tortillas. Um, that's what they were fed. And then he any fruit, existing fruit trees, he replaced with cacao. And cacao to him was a perfect plant to replace because one, it provided shade because the, the plant, the leaves grow super tall. And so it, it provided shade for the coffee uh, being or the coffee plants because coffee oh. plants need shade and a lot of water. Uh, so th- one, it was perfect for that reason. But two, it was perfect because the you can't eat cacao plants. It's toxic to humans. So if a worker got sick, mm. he knew they were eating because they were hungry. Like maybe people would want to do their work if they were well paid and well fed, you bitch. <laughs> exactly. Seriously, but uh, this plant, and so he he not only put this in the plantations, he filled the borders of his plantation with cacao plants so people wouldn't go and take fruit that was, like, in the borders of his plantation that maybe no one even, like, paid attention to. He didn't even want people taking that. Like, so he took out trees that were naturally greedy. growing. All these yes. people are just greedy. 
But like they're destroying the ecosystem because these are naturally growing trees and they're replacing them with this toxic plant. This toxic plant was not only toxic to humans, but it was toxic to animals. So monkeys, armadillos, anteaters. Yes. Um, the book I read that I used for my notes mentioned they were going extinct. I don't know if they are now extinct or they're still just near extinct. But this is all due to Hill and his practices, which then other plantation owners adopted. So they're literally killing Mm -hmm. the ecosystem of El Salvador to grow more coffee and make more money. They, like, literally killed off these animals. Which is so depressing. Well, that's what capitalism does, (laughs) is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just terrible. But yeah, they were going extinct due to his his cacao plants. Um, so yeah, the coffee industry in El Salvador uh, rid the country of the wild fruits, and even these animals were like last resort meals to indigenous people. People still ate them; they were normal to eat, um, and they could not mm-hmm. they could no longer rely on these animals or fruits. So their food so, source was dying too. Well, yeah, like food source was food dying. as in meat yeah. and plants, mm-hmm. yes. vegetables. And, wow, I mean, yeah, fruit. yeah, and well, the land vegetables too, right? I would assume, yeah, the land that was Everything, once theirs to share communally, they didn't have anymore. So essentially, if they wanted food, they had to work at these plantations. Um, disgusting. So while the rich uh, plantation owners profited, workers and especially indigenous workers were starving. And um, in the past, they had communal farms, cattle, these animals, wild fruits. They didn't have any of that anymore. They had to go work. Um, And it was customary for these coffee, coffee landowners, plantation owners to withhold food as a means to motivate workers. Um, and like I said, they destroyed papaya, natural growing papaya, avocados, more fruits to decrease the f- available food sources. And this changed agriculture in the country. But of course, later on, um, in, around the 19, after the 1920s, but especially in the 1930s, the price of coffee dropped. And um, during this time, it was the Great Depression. The, these oligarchs, they still had money. They were still rich, but they they were then stealing more land from indigenous populations and cutting pay in half, which, mind you, they were it was already very low pay, but they were still cutting pay in half so that they could see profit during the Great Depression. So by 1930, workers were receiving one cent a day. Wow. Wild, wild plantation owners saw profit. That is literally nothing. What the fuck are you supposed to do with the one cent a day? Exactly. Oh, it's terrible. Um, tensions between rural farm workers and the rich grew. Uh, there were small and individual rebellions occurring, but because the plantation owners had connections with the military, these rebellions were successfully squashed. Um, and leaders, you know, that were indigenous, they were sentenced to death either by firing squads or by hanging for leading these little rebellions. Um, and many were convicted. 
if any elected officials were known to collaborate with, with these indigenous rebel re- rebels, then they were also um, arrested or killed. And it's not known what the exact number right now of or of these small rebellions who was arrested who was killed um. but there were people arrested and killed so eventually parties formed one for the workers and one for the capitalists like government parties yes yeah and workers began to organize so it began with them talking to fishermen then talking to landowners not landowners sorry Talking to fishermen, and then um, because landowners like, were fencing they're the beaches, <laughs> yeah, I meant, I meant, um, in my sentence, I don't have like a comma there, but yeah, they began talking with fishermen oh. because landowners were fencing off beaches, um, so then they couldn't even go fishing for fish, <laughs> um, so they united, wow. they united fishermen and coffee workers against the greedy landowners, um, and it was small things for small demands like bigger tortillas with meals. More beans, more food, um, coffee with their meals, like reasonable requests. And then unions began forming. Uh, plantation owners urged the government to put an end to it. And the United States was also pushing the Salvadoran government to crack down on this communism because these unions were communists. Of course they were. Because workers mm-hmm. unionizing is communism to the United States. Yeah. So the government began to ban rallies, any printing of Marxist, quote unquote, Marxist propaganda. Uh, They began arresting workers in the hundreds. Um, And uh, this led to the arrest of Farabundo Marti, which I'm guessing you're a little familiar with. Um, I feel like that name sounds familiar. Yeah. So he was a communist leader uh, of the time, and he was one of the people leading this little movement. At the time, it was little. Then it grew, right? But he was one of the main leaders. Um, and later on, the FMLN is the Farabundo Marti Farabundo. Liberación. That's why it sounded familiar. Na- Nacional or something. I- I'm not saying the words mm-hmm. right. But that's that's what it's named after him. But yeah, so he was one of the main people organizing them at the time and so he was one of the people arrested they tried to the government tried to bribe him to leave in salvador and he he refused when he refused they threw him uh into a ship cuffed and like blinded on and and the ship went to san pedro california which i was like huh small world wow (laughs) yeah that's that's where the ship took him he he was on a ship from El Salvador to San Pedro. It just, it's just so random to me. Yeah. And then he was uh, returned to El Salvador by uh, United States immigration. And then the as soon as, as soon as he landed, the Salvadoran police arrested him and they sent him to Peru after that. They exiled him to Peru. And uh, Farabundo Marti refused to be exiled and he returned to El Salvador as a fugitive. And this was, a, like, I want to say January 20th or so of 1932, where he returned to El Salvador. Um, and, and there was, the whole time, the movement didn't stop mm-hmm. to have the indigenous population, like, rise up against the plantation owners. So on uh, January 22nd, 1932, 
thousands of indigenous pipil farm workers armed themselves with sticks, machetes, and poor quality shotguns, and they rebelled against the regime, which was the Hernandez Martinez regime. And all the plantation owners, they're like all in the same. They're in cahoots. Mm-hmm. They're, that's who the government is for, for the rich people. So they were led by the Communist Party, including uh, Farabundo Marti and others. But so it was like a lot of movement, movements that joined together because the indigenous people in one area were like fed up and on their own. They mm-hmm. they started fighting back at the same time that the main communist party was like, we're taking up arms on this day. Because um, it was mm-hmm. a lot of different parties there. So like um, people were organizing later on, separately and they joined Yes. Together. Or yeah, organizing separately for the same cause. And it wasn't until later, mm-hmm. like the 1980s, that they all joined together and and became the FMLN. Um, so they oh. were just different groups that all had the same purpose to return power to the people, the workers. Um, but yeah, so on this day, January 30th, they all took up arms. Um, and so they overtook haciendas, military barracks in uh, Aguachapan, Santa Tecla, Sonsonate. Um, I I can't say some of these names. Huayua, <laughs> Nahuizalco, Isalco, Tlacopan. Some of these names I recognize, not all of them. Like Isalco, I recognize. Santa Tecla, I recognize as well. But um, cities, little cities in El Salvador or bigger cities, they took over these cities. They, this the group of workers that were uprising, they killed less um, than 100 people. And only 20 were civilians. Like, I know you shouldn't kill civilians, but I'm just going to point out that only but 20 I mean, were like, civilians. But I mean, like, over time, how many people did the fucking, um, whatever they're called, finca owners, the landowners, the, the 14 families, the military and the police, in cahoots with them how many people did they kill exactly this is why i'm like emphasizing they only killed 20 civilians everyone else was confirmed to be plantation owners or soldiers um so they weren't like out to get civilians they were really just you know trying to fight back against the plantation owners and the soldiers the national guard that was there it's And like I, I mentioned this earlier, but I put it here in my notes now, but historians believe that, that up, different uprisings occurred at the same time, that the indigenous PPs were not in cahoots with the Communist Party. The Communist Party and the indigenous workers happened to rebel at the same time. Oh. And so in, in order to suppress the rebellion, the Salvadorian military... They quickly organized, but at the same time, Canadian and United States Navy ships arrived because they were there to protect their assets because there was British people living there. There, They, yeah. Well, and the the exported coffee is their assets. Mm Mm-hmm. But by the time they arrived, yeah. Uh, by the time they arrived, the Salvadoran government was like, we don't need your help anymore. We've got this under control. And um, the the chief of operations informed them that peace had been achieved. And he said 4,800 Bolsheviks were wiped out. These were not Bolsheviks. These were indigenous people. people. Um, so the exact number is not confirmed. During this uprising, they killed 4,000 
800 did you say yeah and this is a number given like a a day even few hours a few hours after the, the rebellion began because that's when the navy ships were deployed and arrived to el salvador and that's when the Salvatorian military was like, we don't need your help anymore. We've got this under control. 4,000 wow. Bolsheviks were killed. This was like the same day, basically, or the next day. Like, this is the number they were and at so, yeah, just the next day. 100 of the military and 20 civilians does not compare to that number. And that that's from that occasion. But what about all the yeah. years of um, oppression? And it's not over. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, at the, at when the... Yeah, so this is just when the United States Navy arrived and the Canadian Navy arrived. This is was the number given for 1,800 okay. people. But uh, 72 hours after the rebellion, 25,000 people had been killed. Oh, wow. 25,000 people, indigenous people. So this was genocide. They targeted wow. the people community. And like um, by the end of it, I don't know the exact percentage, but like it was genocide against the people community, like the people people. Those that were not killed that day, the the those that were not part of the 40. What did I say? 48. 4,800. 4,800. Those were those that were not part of that, um, that were killed. Then they were arrested and sentenced to death. Anyone found with a machete, anyone found to have indigenous features or indigenous clothing was found guilty and sentenced to death. This is straight up genocide. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Any any male over over twelve years old was fair game to them fair game for these killings this was later known as la matanza um and it yeah the it was genocide like when was this in the 1930s did you say 1932 mm-hmm. oh, okay okay yeah 1932 and and i if anyone is coming over from a spooky tales i briefly mentioned la matanza when we talked about the rufina amaya episode very briefly, though, this is like a way more detailed covering of it because it's directly related to coffee. It's just horrible because this was not the only like how many genocides are, do no, they this commit? is not the only because one. Yeah, it, it continued and continued. Yeah, exactly. But this the these actions here during La Matanza directly led to the civil war one plantation owner and this is just an example of one but he told his employees to come to the plantation and they would receive identification cards these identification cards would identify them as indigenous but he didn't tell his workers that when they arrived they would also all be killed by the salvadoran military and so 500 of his workers were killed Men, women, children, right there on the coffee plantation. He set up 500 people to be killed. Yeah, 500 indigenous people. Do we have a name of this person or no? I I, I didn't write it down. The book just said one plantation owner. Like this was an example of how they were gathering the the people that were all murdered, the indigenous workers. Yeah, to kill them. This is just one way they were catching them. So it was was not only one person that did this. It was all of the 
or a lot of yeah. the plantation owners. They were, yeah, they were either using this method, anyone, they were patrolling rural areas and anyone with indigenous features was arrested and killed. Anyone and who did clothing. they expect to work for them if they were killing everybody? Right? That's what I'm wondering, too. The remaining, I don't know. I'm I don't so, know, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, people were forced to miss, to dig mass graves and then they were shot and thrown in. Um, and yeah, oh this God. led to the, this was the genocide of the Pipil speaking people in El Salvador. The majority were killed and those that survived had to abandon their tra- traditions in order to avoid death and persecution. By the end of it, the exact number is not known. That is so fucked in up. Between- yeah, in between 10,000 and 40,000 indigenous people were killed. And it wasn't until 2010 that the Salvadoran government acknowledged and apologized for this genocide. Um, and again, this rebellion, this genocide, La Matanza, and the coffee, the way coffee, the coffee industry operated at the time, it directly contributed to the factors that led to the Salvadoran Civil War. All of this was done to keep the oligarchs happy, to stop communism, and to keep cap- capitalism going. Like, yeah, it just fucked up because, uh, I mean, aside from like the the oligarchs and the capitalism, like this is how. El Salvador was born and created and how the nation, you know what I mean? It's the same thing like in Mexico and Latin America, I don't know, the United States where you have to, you have to destroy and quash the people that are already there to create like a unified nation. And so like it all ties together, but like, it's just fucked up. Like they had to destroy and I don't know. It just, it just fucked up because yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the the things they did here to keep, you know, coffee going and make more money create they created these stereotypes that still exist today in these nations and everywhere. The action like the actions of of targeting indigenous people because they were supposedly working with communist uh, guerrilla forces um, that continued on to the Civil War and more indigenous people were killed. Like, you know, um, what's it called? El Mosote is one example, but numerous massacres occurred during the Salvadoran Civil War. And these were all, these were all things they learned from the United States government or from the United States military. Um, these were tactics that they learned. The whole has a name like destroy the river to like stop the sea or some shit it's like the same Uh shit they did in vietnam like it's a whole thing like scorched earth tactics uh you have to the villages are helping the communist guerrilla forces so you have to kill the destroy the villages the people and i mean it was the case in some places it wasn't the case everywhere it doesn't justify it anyway. Yeah. And again, all all this to keep the interest of to keep United States interest uh safe and yeah. prospering, you know. Um protect yeah. the oligarchs and the rich. Yeah. Yeah, at the at the end to protect capitalism, but they call it like democracy and 
communism bad and spreading freedom like is that freedom was was any of that freedom very depressing stuff and i mean to not make my notes super long i did want to briefly mention brazil so um coffee in brazil has a very long history of enslaved labor like i mentioned way 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 earlier in this episode yeah Um, but you don't have to go that far back in time to find instances of slave labor in coffee in brazil so in 2019 brazilian inspectors found that slave labor enslaved enslaved people it was being utilized in plantations that had been certified by the one and only starbucks wait when 2019. Oh my god. 2019? <gasps> Jesus. Three years ago? Was 2019? I don't know if I can ago? math right. 19, 20, 21, 22, yeah. 24. Four years ago, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> so the, the plantations that Starbucks supposedly certifies... They are supposed to ensure ethical sourcing for coffee in accordance to the coffee and farmer equity practices. And and it's like on their website. Like you can see their guidelines and all this. And and these plantations, because it was so one in 2019, but just six months before at the end of 2018, another plantation was found to be using uh, slave labor. Um, and both of these in had Brazil been certified. Too? Yeah, Brazil, both Brazil, mm-hmm. both certified by Starbucks, supposedly were uh, ensuring ethical sourcing of coffee. Uh, <laughs> and this is directly from the website, um, which the article, hold on. It's from fairworldproject.org and the article uh, is titled Starbucks has a slave labor problem. And I'm just going to read this directly from them. In the fall of 2018, labor and local labor inspectors published reports tying Starbucks to a plantation where workers were forced to work and live in filthy conditions. Workers reported dead bats and mice in their food, no sanitation systems, and workdays that stretched from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Workers reported that wow. the payment system was rigged and the coffee they picked disappeared before it could be tallied. Because they're paid on the amount of coffee they are um, picking. But coffee disappeared from what they had picked. So they weren't paid for the amount. So they wouldn't pay them for that. Yes. So then there was deductions made to when they tried to cash their checks. So the workers barely had any take-home pay. Um, And these plantations carry Starbucks, uh, the, the... Abbreviation stands for CAFE, C-A-F-E, practices. This was a C-A-F-E certified plantation. Starbucks denied buying from them in recent years, but the report found that they had bought from them in 2018 and 2019. They're just going to lie because that's what corporations do. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and they had... So that was one PlayStation. Then they found another one. So the two. Um, and let me see. The same uh, ministry that did this report said workers were working in slavery-like conditions. And it was at a 15-year high in 2018 that they were, like, working in these conditions. And um, the article writes, 
clearly there's a problem and Star- Starbucks CAFE practices program is not equal to solving it or even to bringing the problem to light. It is not their own transparency efforts, but those of the Brazilian state that revealed the issues on these farms. So they weren't like they were they're literally buying coffee that is a product of uh, slave, slave labor. labor while boasting that they're ethically sourcing their coffee. And, I mean, these were two plantations. There's no, like, recent reports, but who knows, right? Um, and uh, in addition to that, I mean, yeah. this is, like, not related to coffee, aside from that it's Starbucks, mm-hmm. but they did just un- unionize, so. At least there's that. Oh. Have you like heard Like, Starbucks employees or the coffee they buy from? Starbucks employees unionized like in two places oh. like a, a little bit ago. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I heard about that, but I did hear about the Amazon workers unionizing. Yeah. Yeah. Starbucks workers voted to unionize six more stores. So there's 16 stores that are oh. unionized. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You know, growing up, I always heard Starbucks was a good company to work for. Did you ever hear that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that was, like, everyone like wanted early to early 20s, late teens. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it. That was so recent that they did that. And who knows where it's still going on and what companies are associated with those um, coffee plantations. Are they still called plantations? Are they farms? I don't know. Yeah, big, big, big uh, farms are plantations. Oh, okay. but I guess all all this to say, you know, is there like, is there something one can do when buying coffee? I don't know. I don't know if there's any. Answers. Is there? Did you look that up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, briefly. Tell me the answers right now. <laughs> you can avoid Starbucks for starters. They're the only coffee place around me with a drive-through. Sorry. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, how do we in a capitalist society <laughs> support the underpaid coffee workers in Latin America and throughout the world? It's not just Latin America. I just focused on it in Salvador and Guatemala. Yeah. But it's everywhere. Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> there is reports I read that uh there is fair trade coffee and some fair trade coffee does go straight to the small farms that are running that are part of the fair trade and they're paying their workers fairly um but the big big Uh companies are still you know exploiting workers and not all fair trade coffee is fair trade sadly i don't i didn't i couldn't find like lists like this coffee is good for sure that's Um, what i was wondering because i know like a lot of those lists there's no no like regulatory like anything and so anybody mm-hmm. could say for exactly. example that they're organic and so it made me wonder yeah. that about the fair trade coffees yeah i i looked at some articles that said that there were there were some fair trade coffee that was like better and there's small coffee farms that are employing their workers and paying them better and uh the workers and the small coffee producers are you know their profits are going towards both, not just the coffee farmer owner or farm owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so and so and like there's like places where they they skip like the big the big companies and the coffee shop 
sends someone to these countries looks at the they look at the coffee at the farm and they're so those places are the best Mm -hmm. i just don't know what those places are (laughs) i don't know who's doing that but we can knowing knowing that we can kind of look try to look up or research from there i guess i have seen one coffee shop here in modesto that has um well, I mean, a few like the local ones that have um, coffee that says it's like certified trade from El Salvador and like different places like yeah, that. So those Mexico, ones, Nicaragua. Um, but again, th- those are more expensive. And if you can afford to buy them, then yeah, yeah, do that to help out the people that are part of those programs. But if you can't, then what are you going to do? Because the world is set up to you're not paid much. You're you're trying to buy the cheapest things because yeah capitalism so yeah yeah just you know do what you can if you can if you can't then at least you're aware of the dark past of coffee and not so distant past and yeah we we exist only to depress people so (laughs) (laughs) because this is like a super depressing um topic full of genocide and like all these gonna stay that way exactly yeah have you have you (laughs) figured out what you're gonna cover oh i was hoping you wouldn't ask me that oh my god i I thought about i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna uh focus on the united fruit company oh okay so we're just gonna go from one super depressing thing to another super depressing thing (laughs) Well, is there something slightly less depressing that I should do? No, they're all bad. They're all bad. <laughs> but yeah, if if you know you want to hear more about these stories, like United Fruit Company, um, birth control studies in Puerto Rico, people being displaced to build stadiums. Um, I mean, the lists are endless. Those are all just all murderous kind of Coca Cola company. Yes, murderous uh, corporations hiring hitmen like. Uh, that's all the, the sort of stuff we're gonna cover. It's almost like like dark history combined with like I don't know, true crime and <laughs> capitalism. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but yeah, those are the sort of things we're gonna cover. Um, before we go, I do want to add that um, our Patreon is a little more fun. It's not as depressing. We're we're gonna cover. Am I the asshole stories that involve money, uh, relationships, subreddits uh, that involve fights that involve money? Um, maybe like the just no a mother-in-law subreddit. All these subreddits where people are fighting about money. <laughs> That's what the Patreon's going to be like. And yeah. and um, the funds for Patreon, you know, when we do get, if we do get any, they're going to go to support like communities in El Salvador and Honduras and places that I can find like that so so yeah you you're if you join you're gonna be doing some good because we're these are heavy topics <laughs> yes they really are yeah yeah yeah, yeah. anything anything else you want to add Carmen or um no I don't think so are we saying goodbyes now or <laughs> I think so yeah that's all I had on coffee do we have a tagline for the end or we just say bye uh, I we can think of one naturally eventually. I I don't have one right now. <laughs> I think this episode can be like um... oh something like um just you know don't go to Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like fuck Starbucks or something. I did just go there Friday, sadly though. 
I did just go there yesterday because Papi wanted some, but I wouldn't have. I don't go there. Um, oh, he loves Starbucks. <laughs> he he does. Yeah. I uh, I, I don't know. There's no like small coffee shops near me. There's one in the corner, actually. Yeah, I could make an effort to go there. It's not that hard. Anyway, just you know, if you can, if you can avoid it, you know, yeah, all to say we can just try the best that we can. Yeah, but some things are unavoidable. I don't know how unavoidable Starbucks is, but anyway, <laughs> just try your best. Just try your best. Yeah, try your best. All we can do is try our best. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, we'll catch everyone next time. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. Sources for this book include Coffee Land, One Man's Dark Empire, and The Making of Our Favorite Drug, written by Augustine Sedgwick, TheConversation.com, The Dark Side of Coffee, An Unequal and Social Environmental Exchange, FairWorldProjects.com, Starbucks Has a Labor Problem, Articles from Wikipedia, and spectator.co.uk would you kill for a cup of coffee the podcast is hosted by Carmen and Christina produced by Christina edited by Christina researched by Carmen and Christina and if you like what you're listening to make sure you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and tell a friend about us thanks for listening, we'll catch you next time bye